0: Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Acts chapter 4, this morning we've, uh, a few weeks ago, started this particular chapter. And uh, Acts chapter 4, once you found that, in the honor of the reading of God's Word, if you would stand, we'll start reading in the fifth chapter. I mean, the fifth verse of chapter four. So Acts chapter four, verse number five, Acts chapter four, verse number five, standing in the reading of honor of God's word, it says this, and it came to pass on the next day that there were rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved father this morning thank you so much for your presence here with us thank you for the blessings you have bestowed upon us already through our fellowship through the singing of your word father this morning now i ask that you focus our attention on the spoken word the word given by your holy spirit for your people speak first to my heart then to the hearts of those gathered here that you may be honored and glorified this day this we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. We started this passage together a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 4. We're coming off of Acts chapter 3, obviously, uh, which is where Peter and John were standing in the portico of Solomon in the temple after having been part of God's usage in the healing of the layman at the gate. Beautiful. They stood there in that portico with this, this former lame man that is now healed that was proclaiming the name of God and is healing him. And there were those that gathered together in that portico and just wanted to know what had been going on. And Peter stands up amongst them and he preaches again a sermon much like he had preached before. The sermon he had preached before earlier in Acts was that this Messiah that you have been waiting for was this man Jesus that had come This man, Jesus, that you had hung upon a cross and you have killed. This man, Jesus, that God has raised from the dead by the power that he has. This Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting on. And now he stands before this group and he preaches this message to them. And there's a response. There's a response in this message we see in the first part of chapter four. And there's two responses, really. The bulk of the response, the bulk of the words given is given to the response of Peter and John being persecuted for what they preached. Yet there is a line, a beautiful line in verse 4 of Acts chapter 4 that says, However, even though they were persecuted, even though they were arrested, it says, However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. There's rampant speculation of how many, but let's just say if I ever got the opportunity to preach and 5,000 got saved, I would feel like I might have done my job that day. (laughs) Yet there was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 10, maybe 15,000 that came to trust in this Jesus. Yet there was a group of men there, it tells us, that weren't so happy about what happened and that leads us to this next section of chapter four. And it's about this persecution, this, these preachers of the gospel, the ones who are willing to stand up and, and preach the gospel as after having been used by God in a miraculous healing of a lame man, they were willing to stand up and say that which God had laid upon their heart, now we're going to be persecuted. And that brings us to this section. This passage is maybe best understood if we look at it at, As persecution, but more importantly as I titled this series of messages, persecution, your response has eternal consequences. Your response has eternal consequences. I believe there's a lot to be learned from the proper response to persecution by both Peter and John as they face that persecution head on this day. And even though we may not be facing jail or we may not be facing death for our faith, we're still persecuted we're persecuted from a government standpoint as you notice the removal of of prayer from places the removal of ten commandments the the setting aside of those beliefs that founded this country when it started we're we're set aside on the government side we're we're set aside by even uh those uh locally those things that want to be changed uh in our governments locally we're set aside sometimes we're persecuted by those uh friends that we have those friends that we have that Ridicule us and pick on us and nag at us. Want to know how come you spend a perfectly beautiful Saturday, the first day, I mean Sunday, the first day without rain in weeks, it seems like. Why would you bother to be sitting in a church listening to some lame guy stand in a pulpit and tell you about a Bible that's old and outdated? You know, sometimes we're even persecuted by our family. You know, there are those that don't understand. There are those that don't understand in our families. And sometimes we're persecuted. They're not sending us to jail. They're not arresting us, but there's persecution there. And unfortunately, sometimes we're even persecuted from within the body of Christ. Sometimes that even happens. Look at the war that's gone on for years over what type of music we should sing and play, of how we should do the order of service, things that should happen. You know, i I don't take a stance on either side of that just to let you know. As long as it's for the honor and the glory of God and promotes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I say go for it. You know, there are people of all kinds that respond to all kinds of different things in different ways. And if it reaches their heart, let's do it. But you know, there's persecution all around us. We don't necessarily see it as persecution because we look at those overseas that are right now locked up in jails. Buildings are being burned down, including homes, and there are people being slaughtered today because they believe in the name of Jesus Christ and are willing to speak that. Unless this world changes very rapidly, that day is fast approaching our door. It's fast approaching our door. So we are persecuted. Well, the first response we notice about them, uh, their their first act and response to the persecution is their submission. To the persecution. When persecution comes, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when that persecution shows up at our doorstep in a big way? I think we will respond in the same way that we should be responding now to that persecution. The first thing I noticed when I read this passage about Peter and John and those that group that came to persecute them was this submission. Notice there was no resistance on the part of Peter and John when they were even seized. It, it says there in the very first few verses of chapter 4, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temples, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And then it says in verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in custody till the next day, for it was already evening. Notice the one thing that's missing. You don't see an uprising from even the 5,000 that believe, must last Peter and John or even the lame man. There was a certain amount of submission. This passage doesn't even mention them offering an explanation for what had happened. When they were taken by the guard, they they did not even resist. I believe this is because they had learned that God is sovereign over all things and in all situations. God did not persecute them for their faith, but God allowed the persecution to take place because he had a bigger plan. There was a plan bigger than the safety of Peter and John. There was a plan bigger than than Peter and John being glorified for the message that was preached. There was a plan bigger than even the lame man being healed. There was a greater plan going on here. God has not called you to himself uh, through faith in Jesus Christ to show how wonderful you are. See, God has called you to himself through Jesus Christ to show how wonderful he is. And I think it's time we understand as Christians we're here for the purpose of showing how wonderful our God is. He's the one who chose to forgive us while we were still in our sin. He's the one who decided to send his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall be saved. He's the one who came to seek and to save us because we were lost. He's the one who outstretched his arms on a cross and died to pay the penalty for our sins. He's the one. He's the one who looked down through all of eternity at us, killed his son on a cross, placed him in a grave, and by his own power raised him from the grave that we might have hope for eternal life. And he did this for one reason. He did this for one reason, that lost sinners may be saved and he may gain the glory through it. It has nothing to do with the voice that he uses, the hands that he uses, even the church that he uses. It's all about him. And they understood that there was this bigger plan in God's will. And even when facing persecution, we need to understand what Peter and John understood. And it's exactly what Paul wrote about. It's exactly what Paul wrote about in in Romans 8. In Romans 8. (coughs) In Romans 8, 28, he wrote this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. You know, I mentioned to the kids earlier, sometimes we use the Bible and play games with it. It's a great example of a verse It just dawned on me. That's a great verse that we play games with. We say, because we're in love with God, God's going to make everything good in our life. If you put it in the context of that passage... That passage is talking about from the suffering that you will have on this earth, it points you all the way to the glory that waits you at the end of the day. Nowhere in there does it say the suffering disappears, but only for the glory of God. You see, we're going to suffer. We're going to be persecuted. But they understood this, that even in the persecution, God has a plan to work all things out for good because if his will is accomplished in our life, guess what it is for us? Good. See, Peter And John knew God had a purpose. They knew that God worked in and through all things to accomplish his purpose. And they knew the purpose of God was that lost sinners would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And no matter, no matter the way that God decided he was going to work that out in the life of Peter and John, they were all in. They were all in. Hook, line, and sinker. It made no difference to them if they were free men standing in the portico of Solomon's porch preaching or they were locked behind bars in a prison. If that's what God chose to do to spread the gospel message, they were all in. They knew what Jesus had told them about the religious establishment. They remembered, they remembered back in John 16, back in John 16, whenever he had said this to them, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things I have told you. That when the time comes, when persecution comes, when you're tossed out of the synagogue for speaking the truth, when others turn their back on you, when that time shows up at your door, you may remember that I told you of them. See, Jesus said, the day's coming. The day's coming that you're going to be persecuted. Remember, I told you it's coming. So when it happens, don't let it be a surprise. But understand why they do it. Because he says in that verse 3, because they didn't know the Father nor Jesus. See, those that persecute, you need Jesus. Jesus told them and us that persecution is going to show up and that it will come from those who think they are doing God's service. <laughs> it's amazing when you think about what's happening all over the world right now in the name of a God. <laughs> Not necessarily our God. And it's happening to Christians day in and day out. They would have believed like Paul believed as he wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, when he was encouraging him to be faithful and and to stand on the word. Whenever Paul was writing to Timothy and he says, preach the whole counsel of God. Preach it all from cover to cover, the map, the concordance, preach all of it. He said, stand on the full counsel of God. Do not give in to the voices that want to have their ears tickled instead of their hearts stirred. He says, stand, Timothy, and preach the word. Let the word fall where it may and let it do the work in the people's heart. Don't back off for the sake of of friendship or for the sake of them liking you, but preach the whole counsel of God and let God handle what happens. See, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 when he was recounting this story, the story of his persecution and how he had preached the gospel. He says, yes, and all, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Sometimes I think maybe we should stop and check if we're being persecuted at all and see if we wind up being part of the all. Sometimes we live a pretty persecutionless life, if that is a word. I think it's because we're not all in, as Peter and John were. See, a lot of Paul's persecution came from those who claimed to know God, claimed to be authorities on the Scripture, and they were persecuting him. When persecution came their way, they submitted to it, believing God would use it to accomplish this purpose that he had planned out. And hadn't Peter learned the hard way that God had a plan and it wasn't man's plan? See, when I thought about the submission, you know, up until this point, I don't think I would have put Peter in submission in the same sentence. Think back not long before this moment in a garden. In a garden, he had learned that Jesus did not come to take over the world by force. Remember the story? Remember the story? He he learned this in the garden as he stood there and, and down the road came Judas leading a group with torches and swords and sticks. And they were coming and they asked for this man, Jesus, and Jesus was kissed on the cheek by the betrayer. And when they drew near to grab a hold of Jesus, John 18.10 tells us, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, (laughs) and he struck the high priest's servant and cut his head off. See, Peter there in the garden, he immediately thought, I'm going to defend this Jesus. But remember what Jesus said to him as recorded in Matthew 26.52. Put your sword in its place, Peter. He says, Peter, put your sword in. In its place, for all who take the sword will also perish by the sword. If you remember, Jesus reached down and picked up that ear and healed that man that day. Jesus was telling them that sometimes persecution comes your way for God's greater glory, and you should submit to that persecution. Peter and John believed that God was at work in every situation in their lives. they believed God had orchestrated. And set aside everything, even the situation they found themselves in at this very moment. They believed God was sovereign. God was sovereign over even this situation where they were taken into captivity. They understood that God would use every situation they found themselves in for His glory. And they were good with that. Let me ask you, church. Are you good with where you find yourself? Are you good in the pain that you have in your life because of situations that are going on? Are you good with where God has you walking right now? You know, there are different seasons in our life. We call them sometimes mountaintops. and Sometimes we call them valleys. Maybe you're in that valley right now. Are you good? Are you good with the fact that you're right where God wants you? Are you good with the fact that God's going to use that valley in your life for his glory? See, they understood that that God was using all things for his glory. And and wasn't that why they were there? Wasn't that why they were in this position? Was Was it a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that that particular day in the afternoon, an hour of prayer, that they had decided to walk through the gate beautiful and their eyes had fallen on the lame man that had been sitting there for 40 years? Was it a coincidence that this happened? Was it a coincidence that this particular day they couldn't avoid the gaze of the man and they felt obligated to stop and speak to him? Was it just a coincidence? Wasn't it God who had provided the miracle of the healing of the lame man? They even said it. They said it wasn't by their power. It was by the power of God that this man was healed. Even the Sadducees, Pharisees, and and all of those at the temple believed the same thing. They believed that healing only came by the hand of God. So it was no coincidence. Wasn't it God who had been given the glory for the miracle? What did the layman do when he was healed? He did what we need to do in the church more often. We need to jump up and shout about what God's doing in our life. He danced around the temple so much proclaiming the name of God and the power that God had provided in his life to heal him that others were drawn to him. There's a note you ought to write in your bulletin. You want people to come to know Jesus Christ? Give Jesus Christ thanks for what he's done in your life every day and every way with joy in your heart. That's what the lame man had done. And we saw thousands, thousands come to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah, their Lord, their Savior. <laughs> Wasn't it God who had used the opportunity of Peter and John stepping through the gate, seeing the lame man locking eyes with him? Telling him that there was nothing they had to give him but the power of God. And God healed the lame man. The lame man proclaimed this God being powerful in his life as observed by this healed body. Wasn't it God who did all that with one thing in mind? That the gospel message may be preached? Wasn't that his purpose? We know it was because we see him being preached and people being saved. See, they could look at the pattern of their life, John, and Peter could look at the pattern of their life. They could see that God was using everything in their life for his good, which wound up being for their good. It was God who worked out every situation to his glory, and that was ultimately for their good at the end of the day. So when they found themselves under persecution for doing what God had led them to do, they responded in a way that would benefit God's plan, not Hinder God's plan. I wonder. I wonder how many times God has planned to use persecution in my life and your life, and we've chosen to resist. We've, we've chosen to fight back. When God has already promised us, even in the midst of persecution, He will never leave us or forsake us, that He will be our protector. That he will be our provider. Yet, when persecution comes our way, instead of submitting to that persecution, we fight back. (laughs) Have you ever stopped to think that the way you respond to persecution for Christ's sake will show the world who Jesus Christ really is? Have you ever stopped to think that your response to those, those digs and those things that come at you and the ridicule and the criticism, your response to that shows that person who this Jesus really is. Maybe that's why Paul wrote the Timothy there in 2 Timothy 3:12. Yes, and all desire, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Church, our first response to persecution must be submission to that persecution for God's glory. Their second response very quickly to this persecution was surrender to the Holy Spirit. Here they are standing before the Sanhedrin, as you notice in in verse 5, it says, and it came to pass on that day that the rulers, the elders, and the scribes had gathered together. This is this is called the the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of these rulers, these elders, these scribes. The rulers they were the the chief priests, the ones who ruled over all of that temple. They represented the twenty four orders of priests that did the work in the temple. They were they were the ones in charge of that area. Then they had these elders. The elders were the family heads, the family heads and. And you know how it is when the patriarch of the family or the matriarch of the family is around; they're the one in charge. And here were these these elders that were gathered. Then you had these scribes, and anytime you read about the scribes, you can connect them directly to the law. And many of those were uh, in the Pharisaical order. And Peter and John they were they were brought before this group, much as Jesus had been brought before this group. Most of these same men, just a little time earlier, he was brought before them and persecuted for saying that he was God. He was brought before them and persecuted for healing on the Sabbath. He was brought before them, persecuted and put to death by some of these same men. The Sanhedrin, under authority of the Rome, was the ruling body. They were the supreme court, so to speak, of that time. And there were some significant names mentioned there. As part of that Sanhedrin. You'll notice in verse 6 it says, <coughs> As well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest. Annas. He was no longer the high priest, as we well know, reading through scripture, but he was still recognized as one. He was still one that that kind of behind the scenes had a little bit of, of ruling authority. There was this Caiaphas who, uh, through marriage, was related to this, this Annas, and this Caiaphas had been put in place as the high priest, and he was the son-in-law of Annas. And, and then it's believed that this John and Alexander were more than likely members of Caiaphas' family. And that's kind of supported, as it says, in many as were of the Family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So you see what's gathered there. This is a small group that kind of hold the authority to, to say what is right and what is wrong. It was the duty of the Sanhedrin to get to the bottom of what this Peter and John were doing. This disruption they had caused at the temple. And to put an end to the heretical things that had just happened. Their duty was to step in. Find out how did this happen. Why did this happen? And let's make sure this never happens again. Then they would hand out a sentence, and it would put a stop to it once and for all. That was their job. And they intended to do this by setting straight who was at power in this temple. Who was at power in this city? They wanted to start by setting the record straight about who's in charge in this place. Notice the question that's asked in verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, in other words, when Peter and John were set before that semicircle of the Sanhedrin, it says they asked them a question. By what power or by what name have you done this? You're going to see next week. That's an awesome question. But this week, let's look at it for what they asked it for in their mind. They wanted to make sure that it's known without their backing, nobody has the power to stand up in the temple and say anything. That without their power being given to them, their authority being given to them, nobody had the right to stand up. They chose who was going to be the priest for the week or the priest for the month or the deacon of the month. They chose that. They gave them what to say. They instructed them on what they should do and not do. And these two had already overstepped their bounds as far as they were concerned. They had done this in two areas. If you remember, verse 2 gives us a clue of the two areas. Verse 2 of chapter 4 says, They were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and that they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Their first concern was that they taught the people without their blessing. They were upset that these men would dare stand up and teach the Jews without the Sanhedrin, without them saying, Yes, you can do that. In verse 13 of the same chapter, it tells us what they thought about him. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. You see, in their mind, they're thinking, You're standing up and, and teaching, and you haven't even been to our schools. You have no education in, in how to teach. And to make it worse, instead of, of just telling the people what they were supposed to believe, they were teaching them Why? They were supposed to believe it. (laughs) And they did it using the word of God, teaching about Jesus. They didn't just tell them, this is what you must believe. They told them, thus says the word of God. Whenever they spoke to those people, they didn't give physical references to why he was the Messiah. (laughs) They told them what God said about him being the Messiah. They even reached back into the scriptures that they held so dearly to, their books of the law, and they pulled out from there and said, see, Jesus is the Messiah. Even your word says it that you know came from God. And they did it using the word of God. They didn't just tell them what they must believe. They said, thus says the word of God. And isn't that the duty of a preacher? Isn't that the duty of a preacher? See, it's not to indoctrinate. It's not to to indoctrinate a, a congregation of what they are to believe. A pastor is to point the people to the Word of God and teach them why they are to believe it. See, knowledge without understanding is all about the head. Knowledge without understanding is all about the head. Understanding why it is God says what he says and where to find it in your time of need Affects not the head, but the heart. You see, and they did exactly, they did exactly what they should have done. Because God wants your heart to be affected, not your head filled up. See, at the end of the day, God wants the word to penetrate your heart, not your head. And that's what they had done. They had stood and they, they had said, thus says God, he is the Messiah, because God said he is the Messiah. Peter and John had stood before the Jews, not giving them another lecture on what you must do to be right with God or what law you must keep or, or what day you must do such and such. No, they stood before the Jews and they, they indicted them. They indicted them on what they had done wrong. They indicted them on the fact that they had rejected Jesus Christ that God had sent to die on a cross for their sins. They stood before them and they used the gospel to indict that manhood that stood before them. And let them know they were at odds with this God because of their choice. And what had they done wrong? What had this group done wrong? Acts 3.14 when they preached said, But you denied the Holy One and the Just and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead. You see, what they spoke, they spoke as an authority of God using God's word. Peter and John had cut straight to the heart of the matter and told them that their sin before God was rejecting Jesus. They made no bones about it. They had, they had denied he was from God. They had killed him on a cross. They had asked for the murderer to be released in this place. And instead, they have killed the prince of life. And then they denied. They denied even... After hundreds had seen him, they denied that God had raised him from the dead. You see, their sin was a denial of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John went straight to the heart. The indictment brought against the Jews was not about their lack of religious activity. They didn't get on them about not attending church every Sunday or being in Sunday school or reading their Bible through every year. They didn't get on them about how many times they prayed. What they got on them about is what God cared about. It's the fact that they rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. At the end of the day, you can know the Bible from cover to cover, and you can sit in a pew every Sunday morning, and you can bust the gates of hell wide open if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. How do I know that? Satan quoted the Bible to Jesus. Make no bones about it. You will not see him in heaven. Just having head knowledge doesn't fix our problem. And that leads to the Second reason the Sanhedrin were upset with Peter and John. <laughs> Peter and John had taught the truth of the gospel. They had not sugarcoated it. And the truth of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that we rejected him and killed him with our sin upon a cross, yet God loved us so much he raised him from the dead that we might have eternal life. And they stood before them and preached that gospel message. God, as an act of approval upon what Jesus had done on the cross, raised him from the dead. And they couldn't stand it. See, the prince of life, whom they had killed, was now alive. And they didn't know what to do with that. There was nowhere in their religious system to put that piece of information There was nowhere in their structured worship services to insert that in the bulletin. There was nothing that they knew to do it with it. It turned their system completely upside down. And as Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, they were asked the question, by what power or by what name have you done this? They would understood how the response would have been taken. It would not have been received well. It would have turned the religious system completely upside down. It would make those religious leaders out to be liars. And it would cause the rituals of the temple to become obsolete. You see what they stood before? They stood before a group of men that had made their life around this religious system and they were about to turn it upside down and abolish it with one thing, the name of Jesus. Because nowhere in their religious system was there room for this Jesus. You see, they understood that there was an important response that they needed at this particular moment. It was not only submission to the persecution, but it was to be completely filled with the Holy Spirit. Completely filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. Peter knew that he was not capable of persuading the Sanhedrin. He did not have enough credentials to impress them. He did not have enough training to enlighten them. He did not bring a message that they were going to receive very well. Peter also knew that God had placed them in this situation, in this particular place in their life, and that they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. How does he know that? He was part of Acts chapter 1. It was part of Acts chapter 1 when the Holy Spirit came. When the Holy Spirit came and filled them just as Jesus had told them what happened. Peter knew he wasn't capable. Peter knew that he had to have the Holy Spirit to do it. They understood what's written to us in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 11 says this. But the one, but the one and the same spirit works all these things, distributed to each one individually as He wills. See, they understood the fact that that Jesus was the Messiah, that he had been killed and raised from the dead. They were about to deliver this message that wasn't going to be received well, and they did not have anything within them that would impress the Sanhedrin enough to make them believe this statement. There was only one thing that was going to make them believe this statement, and that was the Holy Spirit working through them with the truth of the Word. And they knew in that moment that God would provide for them through the Holy Spirit that which was needed for that moment. And they completely totally surrendered and were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that feeling is the exact same feeling that you and I have. See, that's the beauty of this passage. When it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what Holy Spirit that is? It's the same when it lives in you. And you. And you. It's the same when it lives in me. If in persecution I have no idea what to do, guess what? The Holy Spirit does. See, they knew this. They knew that they were standing there in the power of God, the same power, the same Holy Spirit, that had raised Jesus from the dead. And it just healed a lame man at the gate. The same power was in them. And it was in them for the same purpose, for the glory of God, not for their glory. And they knew as they stood before them that they had to be totally committed to the Holy Spirit. See, I believe the church has little power in the world today because its members have little faith in the work and power of the Holy Spirit. We have very little power in this world today, church, because we as members are not fully sold out, are not fully yielded. To the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we have Jesus Christ as our Savior. He saved us from hell. We've got our our get-out-of-hell pass. But, But that's where we left it. Few have ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives by completely surrendering to the Holy Spirit. And saying, God, if this is where you've got me, I'm your responsibility. And I'm not going to rely on my intellect or my knowledge or my good looks or my anything. I'm going to rely completely on your Holy Spirit and be completely sold out. See, we face persecution in our lives. And as we do that, we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Because surrendering to the Holy Spirit completely in our lives in some of the strangest moments of life is what tells the world about who your Jesus is. You see, it's time that the people of God see God as more than a get out of hell pass and and understand that God has a will and He's working it out in each one of us. Each one of us has a place in this puzzle of God's will. And to accomplish that will, Jesus has to be more. He has to be more than just your Savior, He has to be your Lord. If He's really not your Lord, I think Scripture says He's not even your Savior. Because those two are connected together. And if he is your Lord, then you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to be all in. There can't be excuses why you can't. Because God can do everything. And if God is in you, you can do everything. See, when God calls you to do something, there is no excuse. There is no excuse. I do not want to be the one to stand before Jesus one day knowing that he's place to call on my life and say, I didn't have time. I didn't have time because life got in the way. My job required me to be there too much. My kids were doing this. I've got these things going on. My marriage isn't good. Let me get that fixed and I'll come. What if Jesus had done that for you? What if he just said, when you get your act together, I'll crawl on the cross. Until then, you're on your own. You know what your destiny would have been? A place called hell. And because Jesus was willing to look out through eternity and look past your sin and who he wanted you to be, he came and died on a cross. How could you stand before him now and say, I don't have time? It's because he's not Lord of your life. It's because you're not fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. And if you're anything short of what God has called you to do, you're in sin and you need to be at the altar before God this morning asking for forgiveness. What if Peter and John had said, I think I'll just keep my mouth shut. And not say anything. There have at least been 5,000 right now that probably still wouldn't know who Jesus Christ is. And the gospel would have never been preached to the Sanhedrin as we're going to see next week. What the church needs today is to realize we're not a Christian club. We're the body of Christ that needs to completely surrender to the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to realize that God has a plan and we can be a part of accomplishing that plan if we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. We need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit because it means salvation. It means sanctification, the growing to be more like Christ. It means righteousness, right standing with God. It means glorification on the day that God comes and sends his son to get us from this earth. And it means that we might be witnesses of the power of God to a lost and dying world. That's what we see in these first couple of responses of Peter and John to persecution, they committed to persecution, submitted to persecution because they knew God was in control. And they surrendered to the Holy Spirit because they knew Jesus was both their Savior and their Lord. I ask you this morning, church, are you all in? Maybe there's someone this morning that doesn't even know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Maybe all this is foreign to you this morning. Let me tell you this, God loved you so much He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for your sins. If this morning you don't know that you've ever taken Him to be your Savior, and Lord, I beg of you, in a few minutes I'll be standing right down here. You come, and I'll explain that to you this morning. As I've learned in the last 12 days, we have no guarantee of tomorrow. None. In 12 days I've buried three people. If that won't bring you a dose of reality about life, nothing will. Understand this, you're not promised tomorrow. If today you don't know for a fact that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I beg you, come. Give me an opportunity to tell you that gospel. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.